So those of you that are familiar with our Church of England calendar will know that we celebrate today across the UK with our brothers and sisters. It's um, All Saints Day. So later in the service, I'm going to talk about a saint. Uh, but before we do, I just want to pray. Almighty God, our Father, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As we gather around your word this morning, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us revelation and understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from the hymn book of the Bible, the book of Psalms. Um, so if you'd like a Bible, if you want to just raise your hand and somebody will come and bring a Bible for you. Anybody need a Bible this morning? There's just a Bible needed over here. The stewards, are, or someone will pass it to you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And in our church Bible, the page number is 555. Um, Thank you. So we're reading, it's page 555 in the Church Bibles, so we're reading um, in the NIV. It's Psalm 24 of David, a psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we consider what this psalm means for us today, I just want to spend a little while, just a couple of minutes, looking back. The most common approach to understanding Psalm 24 is to see it as an entrance liturgy. And what that means really is just it's the words and the prayers and the songs that all make up the worship service. And this liturgy in Psalm 24 was designed to accompany the uh, return of the Ark of the Lord. So it was like a procession into the temple, and the Ark of the Lord is coming back. Um, King David and his men are bringing the Ark of the Lord back from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. Now, many of you will know this, but I'll just say it anyway. Um, the Ark represents the throne of God the Father in heaven. And it was a wooden box which was covered in pure gold. And it was made with specific materials and specific measurements that the Lord gave to Moses. The lid of the wooden box is called the mercy seat and it represents the place of atonement of sin. In order for forgiveness to take place, blood must be sprinkled on the mercy seat. 
So the Ark of the Lord is a picture of the person and saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So no wonder when King David and his men were bringing this back, they were rejoicing, sacrificing, shouting, and playing instruments. And in the Bible, it says that David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Can you imagine that? And all of this as they're walking into the place of worship. Now, King David opens this psalm with a bold declaration. I'm just going to read it again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Now, King David doesn't beat around the bush. His opening verse begins the movement of this poem by proclaiming that the earth belongs to the Lord because he created it. The earth is the Lord's masterpiece, and the creation story reveals God's passion and his love for the entire earth. He is the creator of earth and everything in it. And in the New Testament, we see the Apostle John affirming exactly that. For those of you that know John's gospel, he opens his gospel message with these words about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So the earth does not belong to us, and we haven't got permission to do with it as we please. As the psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The Lord holds the title deeds to the earth. We are tenants of the earth. Now, many of you will know that the Global Climate Summit will be taking place. They're all meeting in Glasgow. Um, and for us, I just don't want us to miss the messages that are coming from verses one and two. There is a message here for us, particularly because climate change is the greatest risk facing all of us right now. Around the world, storms, floods, and wildfires are intensifying. Air pollution sadly affects the health of tens of millions of people. And we've had some real unpredictable weather, and it causes, I don't know, problems with people, problems with homes, problems with livelihoods. Even in our town, we've had flooding in South End. The world's population is approximately 7.9 billion and we are fast approaching the point of no return with regard to the human exploitation of the earth. And we remember the words that David has said in this psalm. The whole world belongs to the Lord. It's not ours. The Lord can claim, lay claim to everything and everyone. And Paul the Apostle reminds us of this when he asked the believers at Corinth, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You have been bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. And as believers, which most of us, I'm sure, are who are gathered here um, and listening online, we know that something additional has happened to us. The mercy seat is a place of real deep significance for us. 
We have been forgiven. We have been set free by the blood of Jesus who died for us. We have literally been purchased by his blood. The psalmist continues, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear to a false god. Now, if you're anything like me, when I read these words, I'm squirming in my seat, really. These verses can give you a sense of your sort of like an unworthiness, that, you know, to be in God's presence. What temple, what church, what people could presume to serve as a suitable habitation for the one who made and possesses everything? Who is worthy to stand in the presence of the Lord? Now let's look again at the criteria from those verses. Number one, it said, the person with clean hands. Number two, the person with a pure heart. Number three, the person who does not trust in an idol. And number four, the person who does not swear by a false god. Now thinking about King David and what we know of his story, it certainly couldn't be him. It's possible that David fell short of every test that he says in those lines. We know that David lied, cheated, committed adultery, deceived, and was complicit in the murder of his lover's husband. David was by no means perfect, and neither are we. The psalmist continues, for the people that meet that criteria, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Selah. That's right. It says God of Jacob. The, the psalmist, when he was writing this, could have said God of Abraham, God of Isaac, but he says God of Jacob. And for those of you that know your Bible, you will know the story of Jacob and the fact that Jacob's name means deceiver. You may remember that Jacob deceived his father Isaac on his deathbed by pretending to be his older brother Esau. Having followed an elaborate plan of deception, Jacob received the blessing of the firstborn son. And in Genesis chapter 27, verse 36, his older brother Esau says these words. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he has taken my blessing. Knowing that the Lord accepted Jacob, that rogue, and both him and David are mentioned in the Bible, in the Hall of Fame, should really, truly fill us all with hope. The Lord uses the stories of the saints, the great cloud of witnesses, to inspire, challenge, and encourage us on our own journey of faith. But I wonder what you think of when you hear the word saint. I think the, the basic definition, everybody would agree, a saint means holy. Somebody who is holy. 
and refers to a person that's recognised as living, having lived a really holy life. And they can be examples and models for the rest of us. But often when I read about the saints, they feel to me a little bit as if they're out of reach, like as if they're superhuman or super spiritual, or they have like these special gifts, you know, which, um, you know, we, we can't attain. But that is not the reality. There really isn't a special type of holiness that only a selected few people can get. Because holiness is given by grace. When we, we receive the spirit of Christ at conversion, we are given that grace to holiness. Now, Paul the Apostle often calls believers saints. So that includes us. We're saints. We might not be feeling very saintly, but we are saints, each and every one of us, because we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, and we're members of his church. However, um, there are some saints, you know, lots of them are very just ordinary people like you and I, um, and their stories are sometimes never really told or never really talked about. And these saints are what I would describe as the righteous ones. They would be doing acts of everyday holiness that people don't know about, just God knows about it. So for me, and I don't know if you've ever noticed in our beautiful church here, we've got a lot of stained glass windows. And maybe if you haven't looked at them before, perhaps have, spend some time having a look at them. But for me, when I look at stained glass and look at all of this, it reminds me of the saints because some of their stories are very, very colourful indeed. And today I want to just mention a saint that you won't find in most of the church's stained glass windows. He's a, a saint whose life and conversion is a source of great encouragement. Thanks, Sid. This is Saint Moses, the Ethiopian, and he's also known as Abba Moses. And he was born, Moses was born in 330 AD, and he lived in the house of an Egyptian official. He was a slave in that house. And he was forced to leave that house because he was accused of theft and murder. So he left and he ended up joining an infamous and extremely violent gang that was sort of terrorizing the countryside at the time. And Moses actually became their leader. Moses was feared by all. His life was one of crime and he became a hardened criminal. However, he went on to experience a remarkable conversion to Christianity. While he was on the run, he took refuge in a monastery at Petra. And he spent some time with these monks and they had a profound impact on Moses. So much so that he asked if he could join them. And he renounced his old life and started to follow Jesus and lived, you know, lived a life of holiness, a complete transformation and turnaround. Now, Abba Moses was an ordinary person just like us. And like him, we have a testimony. I have a testimony. And if people have got about five hours, I'd love to share it one day. Um, but we do, we all have a testimony, we, we do. Our former lives are being transferred, transformed by Jesus, each and every one of us, just like Abba Moses. But what truly stands out for me from his story is the fact that Jesus took Abba Moses, one of the most violent men around at the time, and transformed his life. 
And here today, we're talking about this guy, and he's a fourth century saint. And he is actually known as the patron saint of non-violence. Abba Moses, Jacob, King David, and us, we're not perfect. But throughout the Bible, we see Jesus taking people who are not perfect. And I believe that the Lord loves to do that. I believe that he loves to take us in our brokenness and our sin and transforms us into something really, really beautiful when we surrender to him. The final few verses of Psalm 24, which we're not going to read today, but they're a call to salvation, a call to people to let the King of glory in. And the King of glory is our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And he wants to enter in through the gates of our heart. Now, I've taken it for granted that everybody in this room knows Jesus. But if there is somebody sitting here that has never invited the King of Glory into their hearts, I would encourage you to just approach one of us later on when the service ends, or meet over here and somebody will pray for you and will talk to you about what that means. Because Jesus is the one that just literally, he kind of knocks on the door of our hearts. The final few verses, as I said, are about salvation. And that was always Jesus' original plan. God had that plan from the Garden of Eden. Everything he made and every person he wanted to have a relationship with. But because of sin, a barrier was put in place. And therefore, we could no longer approach God because he is holy and we were not. But our creator made a way. Jesus is the way. And just like in that story, if you're familiar with it, of Jacob's ladder, Jesus is the ladder between our holy God and sinful man. So the Christian life begins with the sacrifice that Jesus made for us at Calvary. And our Christian walk begins when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Psalm 24 is all about seeking God, seeking his face, and seeking his presence. Who may stand in the mountain of the Lord, or who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And I believe that the call to have clean hands and a pure heart is a moral call. It's a call about how we treat one another. And likewise, a pure heart is about having a heart with pure motives towards one another. And during Jesus's earthly ministry, he was there just preaching and walking about as he did, and some religious leaders stopped him. And they said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Psalm 24 
has always impacted me deeply. The idea that the Lord, who created and owns everything, is the very same Lord into whose presence those of us who are in Christ can enter is just absolutely mind-blowing to me. We're going to close our service just there, and, and, and I'm going to pray as we do. I've asked Mary and Lewis to just introduce a new song at the end of our service so that we can just have a little bit of space just to reflect on some of what Psalm 24 has said to us this morning, if that's okay. But first, we're just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your living word. We thank you for the truth, encouragement, and hope that it contains. And we ask that you would help us by your spirit to become more and more like you. Lord, would you take us from one degree of glory to another? For your name's sake and for your glory, I pray. Amen. Amen.